Welcome everybody to another episode of the Advisor Arena podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Malm, and my goal each episode is to bring you fresh ideas, a new perspective, innovative practices from some of the most successful financial advisors in our industry. So thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everybody. It's Jamie. This is another episode of the Advisor Arena podcast, and my guest today is Jamie Hicks. Jamie is a personal friend, but she's also a nurse, a mom. She serves on our patient and family advisory council here at our local hospital. She is speaks nationally, and she's a member of the patient and family advisory council at Children's Mercy here in Kansas City as well. So welcome, Jamie. Thanks for joining today. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. I hope um, we can try to call each other by name as much as possible today to try to really confuse mm-hmm. people listening. So please try to refer yes, to me as Jamie, Jamie as so much glad. as you can. <laughs> I will. I'll do it. Starting now, Jamie. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you, Jamie. Um, okay. So what I want to talk about first, my favorite role of yours, which is that of being my personal friend. And it's it's just hard oh. sometimes, I think, to keep up with everything that's going on with each other. You would think now that we're just at home with nothing to do seemingly but be on social media, um, we would feel more up to speed. But I have seen a few hilarious posts of yours lately. Just tell me how you're feeling about this right now. Uh, It depends on the moment. So I'm feeling okay, and then I'm feeling not okay, and then I feel like running around the yard screaming, and then I feel very zen and chill. Um, drinking a cup of coffee, looking out the window. So it really depends on the moment. And I think it depends on the sunshine too. I'm finding that that's a real big deal breaker for me when the sun's not shining. It Mm. it gets ugly kind of fast. I agree. I didn't really realize how important that is when you're busy and you're just, you're doing things. But yesterday it was kind of gray and yuck and windy. And today it's beautiful, no wind, sunny, totally different outlook on life today. Absolutely. Sleep is helping when that comes in long stints. That feels good too. So yeah, but today was fabulous. Beautiful outside. So tell me how your family is doing. You have three kiddos and a husband. I assume they're all just, you're all together, all the togetherness. Yes. So much togetherness and we love it. We play, you know, Candyland and sing songs together and paint things on the windows. That is all a complete lie. We mostly go to our own individual corners of the house and try to talk very little. That's how we're functioning right now. I'm hopeful that there will be some additional conversations that will happen through this with our family. But right now, everybody's kind of on um, lockdown cope mode, and that looks pretty separate for most of us. Now, the littlest, he's with us a lot, and that's fine because he's dreamy and real happy and um, fun to be around. The teenagers are coping in their own way, and so it's fine that they're also kind of in their own corners right now. We're doing a lot of separate activities. Yeah, we, I posted something (laughs) yesterday and I got some texts from people saying, wow, weren't you so productive? (laughs) I wasn't trying to shame anybody, but my kids were painting pots together, including the two teenage daughters. 
Um, what you oh. didn't see was the <laughs> rinse your brushes out. Stop messing with my brush. That was the part that I was going to color. And it has since escalated. So I, I think a little alone time on opposite sides of the house might might be good for them. So I'm going to try that next. Ugh. We did we did do a birthday party for our youngest. He he had his ninth birthday in the midst of all of this. And so I was pretty committed to wanting to do something special for him and make it really fun. And so everybody participated in that and it was really fun. And then I posted pictures of that thinking, well, you've got family that lives all over the place. And so I wanted them to be able to be a part of that and then recognize sort of after I posted it, that it looked like that, you know, highlight reel. It was, it looked like we're just having the most beautiful time together at all moments of the birthday party. And then I felt a little guilty because I thought, that's ridiculous. I don't want people to think that that it was actually that perfect. And so I did have to kind of put a caveat on it that I didn't picture the yelling and the, um, you know, general grumpiness that went into the event kind of before, during, and after. They were good sports. Everybody had a good time. In general, the birthday party was really fun, but there was plenty of moments of people, you know, me having to say things like, you'll look back on this picture one day and you'll be very sad if you look like this. So try to smile. (laughs) Now, when you say birthday party, you're referring to the driveway party in which your parents came over and you kind of stayed away from each other, but were outside in the driveway, quote unquote, the birthday party, the driveway party. Yes, yes, we did. We had six foot. Uh, physical distancing so that grandma and grandpa could be around him for his birthday. We did it, you know, and then we had a mission party where we had to complete a bunch of family missions together. Little things like running down the street and touching the stop sign and running back and everybody had to participate while I took pictures because let's be honest, the pictures are what will help us to remember the wonderful time we had. And so I take the pictures of people having this great time. And in a few years, we'll go, oh, look at this fun party we had. Yeah. Don't you remember how great it was when we had all that time to spend together? (laughs) You did, though. One of your posts had a quote that I love. And I have to admit, I, I think we've all probably gone through the emotions of this. But I started with, oh, it's not that bad. You know, this doesn't really apply to us. And. We'll be careful. Mm -hmm. You know, we can still be around our family. And then it was like, "Mm, okay, maybe we need to not go shopping or we need to not have parties. And then it has transitioned into, oh, for God's sakes, I've got to keep my parents alive. Like nobody strip strip down in the garage if you have gone out into the community at all. So we've kind of come full circle here. Um, but yep. you you posted something, and this was the quote, and it said, "Our contribution will be what did not mm-hmm. happen." I love that mm-hmm. gold. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's my favorite. It, and it, Don Berwick, he he was president. I think that I'm saying that right of um, IHI, and very just magnificent involved with quality improvement work, and and so he's somebody that I have just gobbled up anything he says anyway. And he said that a long time ago in a speech, not about COVID, but when I read that, it was absolutely applicable, applicable, which is, that is just it. At this point, if nothing happens, which we already know that's not going to be accurate, but the least amount of terrible things 
are what we're going for. And that's, I felt like that was really powerful for me to remember that my contribution is that things just continue status quo and then I'll feel like I've accomplished something. Yeah, totally agree. That was such a good one. So speaking of things that you've shared on social media, I haven't seen anything recently, but some of my favorites over the years have been the stories of your daughter, Allie, and her love of animals. In fact, I think <laughs> I think we bonded at first, maybe when we became friends, over the craziness our kids bring into our lives. And we each have these daughters that are apt to go adopt any animal that they can find. And you've had some stories, I have to admit, they're scarier than mine. So anything, <laughs> anything recently that we want to share, that you want to share with us? There's some whoppers in her past. You know, it's been a little less so right now because we're trying to caution her on where she can go and what she can get into. But I will say that part of what I did this week was I decided that she has a bedroom, obviously, where she keeps some of her things. But we try to keep the rule is down there. My preference that she be the only living thing in there and then her dog at night. But she then spends time in our home office, and I I can't keep that space from being filled with living things. And part of it is that I turn a blind eye and let the days go on, and then I go in there and I look at it and I sort of lose my mind. And that happened on a Wednesday this week, I think. where I just said, okay, we can't, because here's why, here's why I remember. She went outside and she found a spider and then made a habitat for it in a mason jar. And there was rust involved in the lid and it was just a complete mess. But she wanted to take it inside and set it on her desk by her computer in the office area, to which I recognized there was already like, 15 similar containers with other living things in them um, all surrounding her. And so I said, if you take one more thing in, you got to take some stuff out. And that was trauma. And so then she and I had a moment that lasted longer than I would like for it to have lasted um, where we went through each thing and kind of pared down. So we now have the number of living things in the office down to, I think like, 15 and we're both trying to feel okay about that she feels like it's not enough at all and I feel like it's it's like 14 too many so um other than that that's been the latest with her it's just it's just gross so many living things in boxes I just love her stories my favorite from a few months back is finding the snake at the park (laughs) she somehow rode her bike and carried this huge and it was not small it was a huge snake like draped over her arms but it just it was entertainment for days because then it was you know she wanted to bring it in and then there was your husband ryan trying to put it in a bag so you could take it out of the house and go release it and you video these things thankfully i mean i just i adore it so we also, this was the snake that was injured and we had to like flush oh, its wound right. with something, maybe honey. I don't remember. It's that's all right. over. I forgot about the doctoring <laughs> of the snake. Well, at, yeah. one, 
At one yeah. point this week, I was on a phone call because I, I always work from home. So I haven't felt as much of a change as everybody else. But um, usually nobody really knows that I'm working from home. It's just like if I were in the office and the kids aren't here and it's, you know, it's quiet, it's fine. This week I was on the phone and somebody said, um, are, are you in, in a barn? <laughs> I laughed and I said, uh, that, the, those are chicks and ducks. They're sitting on my desk right now while my daughter makes them a home in the actual barn. Thankfully, he loved it. And I said, you know, this is homeschooling day one. So apparently this is a lesson for the day. I don't know. But yes, I have five baby chicks and two baby ducks in their containers mm. on my desk in the background. But yeah, it was. Uh, are you are you by chance working in a barn today? <laughs> OK, so let me ask you the, the ducks you got last year, baby ducks. Don't ask. What? They're fine. Well, they went to a duck to farm across town. Okay. Like the quote unquote duck farm. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just wondered if you had, I mean, these weren't, they weren't, these are not offspring of those ducks, right? You just get new ducks well, every we, year. <laughs> we try not to just kill things <laughs> off and buy new every year, but <laughs> shit happens sometimes. Okay. And okay. the ducks, the ducks. <laughs> Are at that little duck farm in the sky. Yeah. Okay. These are okay. new ones. Okay. 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 These are new ones. These are new ones. Okay. okay. My favorite <laughs> duck last year, though, had this just huge poof of hair on top of his head. I don't know what kind of duck it was. Hilarious. And even named yeah. him Donald because of the hair. So. <laughs> you enjoy I remember that, that baby mm-hmm. duck. Because you're like in a baby swimming pool and everything, right? Uh, yeah, they, they had like a around, little, weren't they like? Yeah, they had like a little horse tank or, just or something bucket. out back. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Goodness. Well, anyway, yeah. the, I, I'm counting on you to keep me entertained here while, while we're uh, all, all at home with your stories. But I want to get to why I asked you. So I know I've told you this before, but you are actually the reason I named this podcast The Advisor Arena. A few years ago, you introduced me to Brene Brown, whom... I adore. And she often refers to the quote, the man in the arena by Roosevelt in her writing and her speeches. Can you, uh, can you recite it by heart? I I I wish I could. Wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I would love to. But I do have it. I do have it on my site. So if anybody goes to listen to the episode from my actual website, the advisor arena, check it out. If you're not familiar with it. And I'll just I'll just say here a few beginning parts of it. It starts like this. It's not the critic that counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or how the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man that is actually in the arena, the one whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again. And it goes on from that. But I absolutely Love that. And one of her sayings that I've heard her say that goes along with this quote is, and if you aren't in the arena also getting your ass kicked, then I'm not interested in your feedback. And I love that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's power right there, right? Yes. And I thought about it and I know I've shared this before, but when I thought about starting this podcast and you and I had talked about it and you said, well, honey, do you know anything about podcasts? (laughs) I said, nope. (laughs) 
And you said, even recently, you were like, well, what if I'm, I don't, are you sure you want me to come on? What if I'm not good? We could both suck. Who cares? Who's going to, I mean, is there anybody else out there hosting a podcast that's going to be like, you know, you really, you really should have done a better job at that. Maybe. Wow. If they are, I'm just impressed that they're listening to this podcast. So (laughs) there you go. Oh, that's such a good outlook right there. (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. That's that positive attitude I keep okay. all the time. Let's pretend that that's my attitude okay. with life always. Perfect. Okay. But the Perfect. arena can be a million things, right? It can be any challenge that we're facing. And I think we're all in the arena right now. We're facing this virus and learning how to adapt and make changes. And that mm-hmm. kind of leads me into what I want to talk to you about today and what I want to pick your brain on. You serve in a role helping hospitals, businesses, companies uncover how people feel about what they're receiving from that organization. I've actually been a part of a group in which you facilitated this feedback. I think it's really, I mean, I think for most people, it's really hard to ask for or or take either one honest and constructive criticism. Tell me a little bit about yeah. how you've seen this play out in one of your roles. Yeah, so that is, I think, a really good question. And what I'll lead with is the first thing I think of and probably the most experience I've had with this is um, with Children's Mercy in Kansas City. And I have served since 2012 with their quality improvement team for inflammatory bowel disease. So that's a mouthful. Let me whittle it down for you. Essentially, it goes like this. So my middle son was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, He was diagnosed with Crohn's when he was four, and that just sent our medical world tilted upside down to try to learn how to care for him, to learn what this would mean for his lifetime, to learn how to get best care for him, um, all of these expectations. And along the way, meeting his team at Children's Mercy and discovering that they had an opportunity for a parent to partner with them in this work of quality improvement gave me this chance to um, really be on a team that focused on, at the end of the day, improving care for kids with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, another form of inflammatory bowel disease. And so I partnered with them and in doing that, recognized pretty quickly that Offering constructive criticism was going to be part of that role. And um, it came down to that the team were clinical members, doctors and nurses and social workers and the people who were on one side of the fence kind of um, offering the care, coming up with how to offer the care, um, working to do what they thought was best. And then my role was to talk to them about how that impacted those of us who were, who were experiencing what they were creating. And until that time, they hadn't really asked the, mm-hmm. the people who were experiencing it. And so there were times when I had to kind of take a deep breath and think, 
okay, I'm going to have to approach them with things that they may be missing the mark on. And how do we do this in a way that maintains our relationship, that is honoring to them of the work that they do? It is evident that they want to do all the best that they can possibly do. And yet still for those of us experiencing the care they were giving, there were times when we needed to um, figure out how to make that better. And so for me, I found okay, the I, magic. I want to stop you. Oh. I want to stop you real quick right there. Cause I don't want to miss how important yeah. that was. Okay. You, First of all, what a win for them to acknowledge that they may not have all the right answers and know all of the things in the processes. They, first of all, sought out the feedback from those of you that were experiencing it. So that's a win in and of itself. And absolutely, where that relates to, you know, financial advisors that are listening to this podcast, this is how I see this going. A lot of times I think advisors they they decide what their unique selling proposition is. They decide what makes them valuable to consumers. And if I ask them, well, how do you know? How do you know that that's what makes somebody want to work with you? I get the deer in headlights look. Well, because I know I do that really well. Well, do your consumers think that you do that really well? Do your prospective clients, do your clients, have you asked them? which is where I think it's so important to have have a process in place like the hospital put in place to say, let's get feedback from those that are actually experiencing it so we know where we're excelling and where we're falling short. And that's, yeah. that's what they did. That's the role that you're serving. And what you're saying now is, okay, I see some things that maybe do need to be addressed, do need to be changed. Now, how do you be the person that's going to go deliver that and, you know, be, and I think with um, medical care, maybe it's a little bit different. You want to be respectful of, you know, the incredible work they're doing, taking care of our babies, right? This is your son. That's part of this program. But financial advisors are somebody in our lives that should be very trusted that we should have the kind of intimate relationship with to talk about some of our deepest fears about money and how this impacts our family and our livelihoods and our security and our safety and if you're not asking people where you're selling and where you're falling short that's a big issue so i wanted to stop and make sure that we're pinpointing exactly what you're saying here and now you're to the point where you're realizing Okay, now I'm going to have to give some constructive criticism here. So tell me what that looks yeah. like. So I'm glad you said that. And that is huge. So when we talk, I'm going to back up even with you on that and just reinforce what you said. When, when I get an opportunity to go into places and teach on this concept of what we've done with this work together um, as a parent with a clinical team, working on improving care, that's where we always start is you have to have a very, um, very sure notion of what you're trying to accomplish. And then you have to put a process in place to get that accomplished. It's not a willy nilly thing and it never has been for us. Our partnership started very intentionally. And um, while we didn't have step A, step B, step in place from the beginning, we recognized that what we were entering into was a 
I'm going to lay out for you what I do, what my thoughts are, what this is them, the, the clinical team, what, what they think, what they wanted to do, what they're trying to accomplish. And then they asked me, we want you to tell us how you're experiencing that. Is it meeting your needs in the way that we anticipate that it is? Or in, said in another way, they wanted to know if everything they were working at and all of the energy and effort they were putting into these care processes, if on the other side of them, that energy and effort was worth it. Was the return coming back to them in a way that they thought it matched their energy and effort? And in time that we found out that that was not the case. And so that's where I get with the, how do you come back to somebody with constructive criticism? And in my case, what I found to be very helpful. And then in the other patients and families that I've worked with over the years in this same ballpark is um, to use your story, use your lived experience where that's where that arena is such is such powerful language for me. But your lived experience is what makes you an expert. So um, I tell people, consumers, don't be afraid to rely on your lived experience and tell your story and use that. And then we present it as an opportunity for improvement. And so we don't talk failures. We don't talk where you're um, doing something wrong. We talk about this idea of uh, improvement opportunities all of the time, the gaps in care. So I think we use that language both is um, where are the opportunities for improvement here? How are we doing? Where are we hitting the mark at today? Where are opportunities for growth? And then um, where are those gaps in what you think you're offering and what people are really experiencing? And I found that I think it's a testament to the people I've worked with. They have responded to that feedback beautifully. Um, I have yet to come up against defensiveness. I have always come up against um, physicians, nurses, care team who say, oh my word, thank you so much. I hadn't considered that that's how that would play out on your side of things. And so that helps us so much to rethink how we're going to approach this next thing. And then generally the next thing that's said is, would you help us say this in a way or think of how to make this be in a way that other people like you will experience it in a way that's helpful for them as well. I want to go back to something that you said there and it reminded me of something that I've heard for years and I can't remember where I, I first heard this or who shared it with me, but it's not about right or wrong. It's not about you're doing this wrong. This is the right way to do it. You're sharing your story. And what I've always heard for years is your feelings can never be wrong. Nobody can say your feelings are wrong. So if you're, if you start feedback with, this is how this makes me feel, then mm-hmm. people don't get quite so defensive and you're just able to share your experience. Right. Absolutely. And that's good psychology, right? That we talk about where, where we come at something from how it impacted us and our true lived experience. Then it's much easier to wrap that up in um, what, what is actually happening in the processes and how that works. And so, yeah, story is powerful in these in these situations and people who are experiencing it know a lot Uh, and what, and that's true in any, any area for us, it's medical. We experience it. So we know what it's like to live at home with this disease for um, any other kind of, you know, 
I don't know, um, professional experience. It's going to be that consumers know a lot about what it feels like, the vulnerability and the fears and the, what they like and what they don't understand and what they need explained differently. They know that better than anybody. I, where I can, you know, some, some similarities here that I think somebody could take and say, well, how does this apply to my business and financial services? Think about, you know, your appointment process. And I, just so many things are going through my head here as you're talking opportunities that advisors would have along the way to say, how did this play out for you? Or how did this feel from, you know, having their assistant call to set the appointment to coming in and how were they greeted and what material did they have to bring with them and what were, how were expectations set on what would be um, the agenda maybe for that first meeting to, you know, how are they taken care of after they become clients? How often am I hearing from you? When should I call you? When are you going to reach out to me? Especially in times like this, we not only have a health crisis on our hands, but we have, you know, all this volatility in the market and there's a financial crisis and we're getting, I know, lots of calls saying, well, my, you know, some advisors are saying my, my clients are calling, they're, they're terrified. They don't know whether, you know, we've planned for this and other advisors are saying, I'm not hearing from my clients. And I know it's Mm -hmm. the advisors that are saying, I'm not hearing from them it's because they have the kind of relationship where they've just, you know, whether they did it knowingly or not, they took feedback from their clients. They formed a plan together. And now everybody knows we've planned for this. We are communicating. I know what to expect from him or her because we've talked about that. And I've told him or her what I, what I need, what I need to feel comfortable, what I need to know that this plan is going to work regardless of, you know, some of the short-term volatility. So there's just so many areas that can work in. Any advice, because obviously individuals can't go out and form their own, you know, maybe patient advisory council, but maybe on a smaller scale, any advice for somebody that's listening to this that thinks, my gosh, I'm not, I've never even asked. I don't even know how to start getting that kind of feedback do you have any experience on a smaller scale with other companies, people that have asked you to come in? How would they go about trying to get feedback like this? Oh, that's a good question. And I think it's going to be different for everybody. That's the um, political answer, right? That's, that's hard to um, kind of drill into your consumers and figure out of the best way to get that feedback. But um I I say you have to start with an ask. Once you're very, very clear of what you're trying to accomplish. And, and that, that's, I think something that people really struggle with. We, we ask people, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? And, and often you get this general global kind of answer. Well, we want to make the world a better place or we want people to feel financially stable or we want people to be medically healthy. And it's this, such a big global answer um, to a question, but I, I would say start drilling down to smaller goals and things that you want to accomplish. Very, very clear goals personally in your business and that kind of thing. And then when you have those ideas, then you can start to ask the questions of your um population of your consumers, of your um, 
folks that you interact with and ask questions based on whatever that is. And so if it's, do I offer you enough value for what you're paying? That could be a very clear uh, business goal of, I want to, I want people to believe that what they pay me is giving them equal value, that it's, it's a, you know, shared thing. And so then you can start to formulate questions around those things and people, people will be able to easily answer very specific questions. It's harder to, to ask someone, how are you doing with the services I offer? And they're going to be like, well, I know I'm scale of one to five or, you know, what do you, what are you wanting here? But if you start to drill down to those specific goals that you're trying to accomplish and then ask the questions based on that, uh, that starts to be pretty helpful in just a quick uptake. There are other ways to go about gathering feedback, but that would be my first one that I would um, recommend people kind of think through and use. Um, the other thing is, is nev- you can't ask too many whys. So when you get an answer from someone, that's never, that's never the answer. The answer is probably five more whys from that answer. And so ask, be curious and ask the questions. Um, when somebody gives you their first answer, find out really what was behind that answer. And then why would that be the answer? And keep drilling down to that. And so obviously the thread in mind is staying small, thinking about essential goals and really being curious about people's answers. That is something that I don't think I would have thought of on my own um, because, and I know you'll be shocked to know this, <laughs> I, I would I would be one that would be generic, right? I would be like, well, I'm just going to ask how they feel about this and I'm going to ask how they feel about our services and our staff. That's too big. And you're so right. People, You're going to get, you know, generic answers that you can't really do anything with. But if you could take like two or three areas and just say, I want to get really specific about how they feel about this piece of it. And I had an excellent, excellent, excellent sales trainer years ago. And his whole process was selling without selling. Like, do not pitch. It Mm. is humble swagger. It's asking questions. And it's just being curious enough to let, you know, empower people to essentially sell themselves. And his questions were, you know, when you think that you have asked the most obnoxious amount of questions that you possibly could have, it still probably isn't enough. And he taught us ways to (laughs) ask things in a different way. You know, um, what do you mean by that? Or could you be more specific or tell me more about that? Or, you know, just something that makes them say it again. And if you do that three or four times, they're going to say it again in a different way and they're going to expand upon it. And Mm -hmm. that's where you really start uncovering it. And that is such a good tip. Such, I mean, such a powerful thing that I've, forgotten it and I think that's we we all do that right we know things and we need somebody like you to hit us absolutely no no get specific get really specific on what you're trying to accomplish and then start asking the questions so good yeah so smart yeah I I (laughs) I don't know if that's true but I was thinking as you were talking just about even you referencing things in offices and what would be helpful for um, the folks that you're trying to reach and access is one of the things that we talked about at children's mercy. That was a big one right away. And they had put all these things into play and processes and lots of people were a part of this concept of access 
access to your doctor, access to the right information when you need it, that kind of thing. And so they had, they had decided as a clinic that they knew that needed to be an important priority for them for a time. Uh, you know, over the next six months, we want to have the best access for our patients um, in any clinic kind of, they, you know, they made it a specific goal. And then they started to ask the questions of the consumers. How is, how is your access when your child is sick? How is your access when you need to make a regular appointment and it's not an emergency? How is your access? And it started to drill down to they were able to very quickly uh, stimulate some emotion in people who were able to say, well, thank you for asking me because right now my access when I'm in an emergency situation is terrible. And so we need to address that. But in, in this situation, the access is okay. And it helped us to really identify where our gaps are. It helped us to identify where we could improve things. And so, but that took them providing a way for people to answer the question, but it, it also took them really being honest with themselves about what their goals were, narrowing those down. And so along that same line, I'm um, just trying to make the point that, that getting specific about what you're trying to accomplish is critical. Yeah. And I think, I'm just trying to think through on our side, it really, and probably all, all business really, and all of this, it's comes down to communication. Um, and if you're in a Absolutely. time like this where emotions are already running high, people are fearful, people are being laid off their, you know, their accounts have seen these huge dips. If you have not really drilled down to how do they want to communicate with you? How do they want to have access to you? What's the expectation when, you know, I have more than a 10% decrease in my account. Do we have a plan? Do I know that? Have you communicated that to me? What, when should I expect to get an email from you? Or when should I expect to pick up the phone and call? If you have drilled down and you've gotten that feedback from your consumers to say, this is what I need from you. This is what will make me feel like you're on top of it. Then that's what carries you through. And it doesn't, I mean, communication is just one example, but my gosh, you could do a you know, you could drill down just on the ways of communication or like you said, access and probably, you know, move light years ahead of the relationship that you have with consumers, just focusing on that one tiny thing and really getting specific on how they want to be communicated with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting what we find is that um, what we consider we on that. So if I put myself in the business mind or if I put myself on the um, clinical side, what, what would be considered a small thing, then you go, you flip that over to the consumer side or the patient side. Um, those become their everything. You know, they, they don't think about the scheduling and how busy and everybody else is and all the 600 other people that they're dealing. That one person is thinking about their one thing, which is I need to get a hold of somebody and I haven't learned how to do that. And so it isn't tiny to them. It's huge in that moment. And so um, that's the other thing is kind of learning to step out of our perspective and the lens of somebody else, which isn't rocket science, but it just takes slowing down for a minute and really considering that um, as we make decisions. Well, and I think we all feel like I've put this process in place and this is so smooth and it works so seamlessly and it's really efficient for me and for, you know, my staff. And maybe you don't take the time to think about, well, maybe some people don't feel like they're getting what they need on their end. That's that's going to derail the whole plan that you've just built that you think is so fantastic. And if you don't take a step back to say, 
let me ask them. Let me get their feedback because they're the ones I've done all this for. I may think something is fantastic. And if they don't feel the same way, it it needs to be redone. You know, it just I can't continue like that. And I'll just share one thing here. I asked you, you know, any tips to get started and so such good advice to get specific and ask more questions. I'm just going to give our listeners here a, a tangible share here that you can take and do. Um, if you just wanted to get started with this right away, we had an agent at one of our roundtable events and our roundtable is for all of our advisors to come together. It is led by them. They just share best practices. They share ideas that are working for each other. And one of our advisors shares that shared that he had sent out a survey and I, he, he did it through some online service like survey monkey or something like that. Um, but he actually did it internally. He has staff. Not a huge staff, but I want to say maybe five people. Um, and th- the responses came in anonymously, and it really freed people up to answer the questions about how they were feeling. And his feedback at that event was, these were things that weren't even on my radar. Like, you know, they mm-hmm. shared things about what they were feeling that I never even would have considered was something that was a positive or negative or was even on their minds. And it just completely changed the tone of their office because they were able to take a step back and say, that shouldn't even be an issue. Let's address that and let's make it better. So it's not just, you know, your clients or your consumers, but for those of you that are are listening and thinking about the people that work with you or for you, this is something you should absolutely be doing with them as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, so I want to end with an exercise that you brought to me maybe, I don't know, six months ago. I think I was at the gym at the time and I I looked down at my text and it said, (laughs) just reading this book, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And there's an exercise in here where you have to pick your two core values out of a a list of 100 and you can only pick two and you said, do you know what your two are? So keep in mind, I'm working out, right? I, I glance out at my phone and I text back like kind and something else. <laughs> you were like, wait, <laughs> what? How did you do that? <laughs> I've been at my kitchen table for days. I have, I have like a, a hierarchy thing going here. I have, le- I have things circled and then scratched out and I have a short list. And I was like, oh yeah, I just, I don't know. That's it. And when I left the gym, I thought, well, why? We're a lot alike in a lot of ways. Why is this taking her so long? So I reread the instructions and I thought, oh, hell, it's not, <laughs> it's not what I want to be or what I hope I am. It's what is so ingrained in my being that it just happens without me thinking about it. And as much as I would like to say I'm such a kind person, I have to work to be kind to people. (laughs) It's not just coming naturally. So I texted you and I was like, wait, scratch that. I just reread that. And you were like, oh, thank God. I wondered what the hell just happened that you did that in like five seconds. And then it took me like days. That's one of my favorite exercises. I had my team do it. We've done it as a company. I absolutely love it. And it's so hard it's so hard it's so hard and do you okay have you gotten to your two or it's two right 
it's at two. the end of the day, we're just supposed to have two. And do they have it? Have they stayed the same? Has it been the same two? No. Or and then I think do do I don't know what the hell I'm like, doing oh, in life. Obviously, I, I just think <laughs> when my two change, I'm like, well, apparently either I don't know who I am, or I'm so confused about life in general that my two core values keep changing. But you have to decide. Like, I would just want to naturally say family, but then safety is on one of them and you're like well which comes first i have to make sure my family is safe and so does that take precedence Mm -hmm. like it is so mind-boggling to try to get it down to two values it's so much fun though if anybody likes nerdy stuff like that they you know definitely check it out but do you do you know what your two are today well so i think that i have finally come down I had to like do all of these scenarios and imaginary role plays with the different values to see which one bubbled to the top for me mm-hmm. and safety is absolutely not I can't even abandon that one if I try um, it's it's a core value for me and it's like stuck to me unnecessarily I wish that I could shake it sometimes and just have fun and if there is an unsafe kind of concept playing out in any realm, fun can't happen for me because I have to, I have to play to safety first. So that one, that one's pretty easy for me. It was that second one that has been such a challenge and it, and I, so I'm such a nerd and I knew that it had to be something along the lines of knowledge or learning or, something in there and essentially what I think I've decided is that it's excellence which makes me sound like really super super stuck up and I feel bad saying you know I mean if excellence just comes to you so naturally it's just ingrained in your being that you don't have to think about it just own it own it there's nothing I can do (laughs) excellent at all things I define it like that for myself. I see that. 
So mine is my one that I never deviate from is balance. And I, too, had to go through a bunch of stuff to see does family actually fall under balance? Does safety fall under balance? And I I feel pretty sure about that one that I have to feel like all those things are in line. It's my second one that makes me feel like I don't even know how to do life. So I thought until like three days ago (laughs) that (laughs) (laughs) I thought that I was a very empathetic person. I mean, so much so that I'm like, oh, that just everything hurts me. You know, I see things and it's like, yep, that hurts. That's my great empathy. It's the burden I must bear. And I always want to help. I take on these projects. I want, you know, I just really feel for people. But apparently I am not really empathetic. I am sympathetic. And I discovered this in listening to a podcast. People are going to think I'm obsessed with Brene Brown. But again, she just launched a podcast this week, so I can't help it. But she had, um, I think it was more like a little YouTube clip or something that was tied up with promoting the podcast. Um, But I've had a really bad habit, especially since the outbreak of Corona. I find myself when people say, uh, you know, I just feel so bad for our seniors that didn't get to go to prom. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, well, it could be 1970 and they could be in Vietnam. So or I just um, I feel so bad for these you know people that have been laid off Uh uh-huh well they could be the wife that has to be quarantined for 30 days because her husband died so i feel like that's helpful like i want to tell you how much worse it could be and put it in perspective and bernay explained it this way which hit me like i mean like somebody just hit me over the head if you start your sentence with at least that is not empathy. What? If you That's st- fabulous. Uh-huh. If you start your sentence with at least, that's not empathy. And I was like, well, shit. Back to picking a number two. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not an empathetic person, which Corona has brought to light in the worst ways. I mean... I, I I am oh a, at least your baby didn't go to Vietnam. Let's quit bitching about prom type of person. So I'm sorry for the people I've said that to. I thought I was helping. <laughs> so what are you if you're not empathetic? I don't know. I have to go back to the list. Sympathetic. That's sympathy. So that's sympathy. Oh, I feel so bad that happened to you. But it's not like I don't, I can't imagine that you're sad about that. Because let me give you some perspective. That's not empathy. So back to the drawing board to pick my number two. Oh, but thank you so much for telling me that because now I'm going to check myself every time (laughs) I start to say at least. I know. I do it a lot. I may use with my children a lot. uh, Now it's just like at the forefront of my mind. So now I'm really aware of how much I do it. Oh, Jamie, thank you so much for hopping on today. For everybody (laughs) that has listened, I'm going to link um, where you can go find this exercise. If you want to be told nerds like us and go check out what your two core values are, I'm going to put some ideas, things that you can take and put in place right away. If you want to try some of her tips for getting really specific and digging down into 
finding out what the experience is for the people that you serve, because that is the key, right? That's what's making any business, whether you're a financial advisor or a medical professional, that's what's making everything go. And that's, that's the deal. So thank you, Jamie. I've loved talking to you. Thanks so much. This is a blast.